Hello, welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as our host, Evan Setter, I'm joined by co-host Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at E Setter. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan Clean14. Also, make sure to follow our Locked On Suns Twitter page if you aren't already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support of it is very much appreciated. I know we're growing over there every day, so go over and make sure you're following at Locked On PHX Suns. But today, we're back to you guys after our little hiatus from Christmas we recorded last night. If you haven't listened to that, go right ahead and listen to that for this one because we recap the Magic game, but now today we're going to go zoom back a little bit more out of the microscope here and talk about the five-game road stand for the for the Phoenix Suns. They actually had a winning record over this, three and two, and we saw Devin Booker become an elite scorer like we always knew he was, and also DeAndre Ayton seems to really be growing up before our eyes here on this home stand, or this road stand, excuse me. But, Brent, I'll toss it your way because I know you probably have a lot of thoughts about the past few days we haven't recorded over Christmas break and all that. What's your – expectations or even your surprises that you saw over this five game stand for the Suns? Yeah, I think it begins and ends with Aiton. I think uh, Booker, like you said, I mean, obviously really good long-term kind of to see him get back to being healthy. He looks really uninhibited uh, between his hand, his, his leg and all the different bumps and bruises he's gotten over the, really the whole calendar year of 2018, right? As we, look to 2019 he seems to be kind of past all of that and that's good to see but as far as what I think is driving this team success as you've mentioned three and two over the uh, road road stand and and five and two overall in their last seven games dating back to the two last home games before they left it's DeAndre Ayton and on both ends of the floor really kind of looking like a whole new player and learning quickly and so I think, you know, he's been the, the driving catalyst because, you know, the team's getting this defensive identity, this hard-nosed kind of just energetic style that we've talked about plenty at this point. But I think a lot of it does come down to Aiton in mind and how well he's taken to both ends of the floor, being more aggressive and, and really buying into his role. And I think uh, you're not, you would not have seen the, the defensive performances this team has put up against good offenses without Aiton's buy-in and without his, uh, obviously, productivity falls right in line with that as well. Blocking shots and scoring the ball, rebounding like crazy, just all around kind of a, a complete 180 for him, and it's been, I think, the biggest part for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And I wanted to just go over the stats record for DeAndre, and if you guys don't know, 20.8 points, 15.6 rebounds, a career-high 1.4 blocks, four double-doubles in the past five games for D.A., and he's shooting 66.7% from the field, which is an absolutely elite number for a guy like his size. I think the only thing missing, Brent, I'm looking at the numbers here, only 2.8 free throw attempts per game, meaning he gets to the line maybe once, maybe twice per game. Is that really the only missing ingredient left in, in Aiden's potential or just his immediate future, I guess? Yeah, immediate future. I, I think it's the easiest way for him to kind of up his his efficiency and his scoring even further, which kind of sounds incredible to even say there is room for that considering those numbers you just said it's obvious that he's become quickly the stats monster we knew he would be when we were talking about you know could he be a 2010 guy as a rookie like uh maybe seemed pie in the sky early in the year when he was you know scoring in digits and just looking really out of sorts against certain matchups really early in the season but i think it's been pretty clear we've talked about too that portland trailblazers game that he didn't start as kind of a, a message being sent by the coaching staff. He seemed to have responded well there, but just throughout the whole year, the improvements really kind of came together over this road trip. And to, to highlight even more 
specifically the the Nets game was really impressive to me um, to come in. I think he he kind of had the fortune after all was said and done of getting fouled out of that three triple overtime Wizards game because he was the really the only guy to come out and set the tempo, set the mood, set the energy level for that Nets game the following evening and really put together another monster performance in that one when very few of the Suns, TJ Warren had just a, a complete dud in that game and they weren't really in it just because they had played late into the night, the the previous night. But Aiton was the one guy who came out and I can't remember his exact line because I have his his cult like the the list you said is his past five games numbers on me. But it was like pretty close to another 25 and 20 type of night for him, that one. And just to see the the back to back over the weekend of just huge performances kind of put the the rookie of the year conversation on the map a little bit too. I started to see that conversation going around the internet. One more thing I wanted to touch on before we go over to Devin Booker, just to touch on his just elite efficiency over the past few games. And with DA, I wanted to just ask you about just the possibilities of him on defense. And we saw in overtime, I don't think we hit on it enough last night, just how dominant he was in that overtime period. If Aiden can be an average defender, what does that do for his ceiling? It helps a lot, but I mean, I think to me, honestly, over the past, maybe just you kind of think December, I guess, is where it's really looked up for him I kind of I mean I I feel like I'm seeing flashes that make me feel more optimistic even than his ability to be an average defender uh to to turn the rim protection numbers around and I know it's not the only thing that matters when it comes to protecting the the basket is just putting up blocks but it certainly for him especially is a good indicator because it's it's been such a kind of hot button topic for his his overall productivity is just getting blocks he didn't do it in college he hasn't done it in the nba besides the past couple weeks so for him to be able to to flip that switch so quickly uh is is i think a really good sign for him and and you see it it's it's obvious when you watch him if you compare i mean i'm sure if either one of us were to go back and watch a game from october and then watch a game you know, even the Magic game last night, just go back and flip on that overtime when the Magic only scored four points in large part because of Aiton's interior defense, you would you would notice it because he he's just swallowing guys coming to the basket. It's not every time he, he has mental lapses consistently at this point, but when he's locked in and when he reads the play the right way, it, it really feels like the offensive player, unless it's an elite finisher, has really no chance. Like DJ Augustine just got bottled up at the in that overtime period a couple different times. And uh, I thought Aiton did a good job on Nikola Vucevic, defending obviously a little different in the post, but uh, he really looks like he's starting to get it. And I think that's the biggest thing where you, I mean, you, you tell me, but I kind of feel like he could get even better than I expected after this month or so stretch. Oh, I totally agree with you. I wrote a story on Brightside earlier this week about I think DeAndre is really positioning himself to break out entirely in 2019 because I wrote in my story a little bit and I, we can probably touch on here as well. Have you picked up on the trend that every single time, maybe outside of one or two games, maybe the Dallas game is the exception where he shot three or 13, but defense was overall better in that game. But every other game against the guys like Boban, Vucevic, Jared Allen, he's winning all those matches the second go around. Yeah, he's, he's definitely learning quickly and it kind of makes you feel a little better. I think there was, uh, concern we've talked about before, just how open and honest he is about his frustrations and clips that went viral at various points during the year. 
I wrote about Aiton last week or the week before as well, just kind of putting it out there that he was making it too hard on himself with the way that he was thinking the game, putting too much pressure on himself, putting too much kind of uh, mental energy into playing when he's so naturally gifted and, and can really control the game with his, his gifts and his tools rather than, you know, trying to make it about his head. And I think that you kind of see that in plays like the overtime last night or at a, a few different games here. Now I thought he did pretty well against Minnesota as well against Carl Anthony towns, even though towns had a pretty big night that night as well. But um, yeah, he's learning quickly when he plays these guys the second time around, but to move to, to Booker, his, his five game road trip numbers, 40, 39.8, about 40 minutes per game, uh, 31.2 points, 8.2 assists, which we touched on yesterday, just really huge assist numbers settling into that playmaking role, and then five rebounds per game, as well as a steal, 1.2 steals, shooting 46% from field goals and 87% from the line. Um, we said it last night, but this is the, the booker we were expecting in October. Oh, for sure. And I really, I wanted to hone in on two more stats there. Three-point attempts, 7.8, and free throw attempts, 7.6. I think I just did a quick search on NBA stats, and the only only guy that's averaging 7-7 seven and seven in those two metrics over this five-game stand is James Harden. So he really is looking more and more like the guy we were talking about preseason that we really could get close to averaging 30 points per game. Not Maybe not this year, but maybe in the next years or so. Yeah, he he's uh, getting to the point, too, where – because of that versatility, because he's kind of learning how to use his physicality, overcome the slight athletic disadvantages he might have against certain guys. I, you think about the what feels like the only basket that happened in, in overtime was uh, Devin Booker driving past Terrence Ross, who much more bouncy, athletic, long player than Booker is, but Ross had no shot, no shot at all defending Booker going to the basket, and um, Booker got an easy layup to put the Suns up and win that game, and it was a place like that where you really felt feel that he's he's back to full health, but also it's just so obvious how difficult it is to guard him and why those points are coming in big buckets right now because uh, he has some more playmaking talent around him. The spacing is better, and he's learning how to get inside and get to the rim, finish at the rim, and, and draw fouls better than he ever has. So that versatility to his offensive game is showing up in a big way with those 8.2 assists as well. Uh, really holding the defense hostage when he's has the ball in his hands, they don't really know what to do. And he does look more and more like Harden as the, as the days and weeks go by with this kind of newfound versatility and efficiency. And then one more stat when they hit on here, which I found just kind of hilarious was 24.2 field goal attempts per game. That's probably inflated because the overtime numbers, but the only three got only two other guys averaging 24 or more field goal attempts per game over the stretch is Paul George at 24.0 and James Harden at 28.2, and he's averaging 39 and a half points per game. What do you think yeah, about Harden's been, Harden's been filthy recently? Yeah, he's been really good, and now that Christmas game was really fun to watch. But what mm-hmm. do you think about Booker in this really high usage role? 24 field goal attempts per game. Usually, I think before the injury is about 18 per game. Do you think he's a guy that should be getting at least 20 field goal attempts per game, or do you think he should be more of trying to balance it? It seems like early on in the year, he's starting to get it more, obviously, but he was kind of struggling when the when the pass, when the shoot, when to get going, so to say. Yeah, I think he's feeling that better. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily have like a, you know, on the on the nose 
type of number or anything, but I, it kind of just feels like watching him that that balance is getting closer to, to where it should be. I mean, the fact that he's taking so many of those shots and, and still making plays for his teammates at an elite level, I think, you know, I'm, if he can do both and cut down on the turnovers, which he also has, that was a huge problem for him earlier in the year where a lot of his usage really was, was turnovers, not, not even scoring. He would have, you know, sub 50% shooting nights combined with four or five turnovers or more. And that's a recipe for a pretty difficult night on offense. And he's flipped that around, turning the ball over far less over the past five, that road trip, he had a over two assists for every one turnover not an elite, elite number, but far better than he was earlier in the year. Um, a 32% usage for him. So not really cutting back on the usage at all, but just turning into a more efficient guy by taking more threes, getting to the line and not turning the ball over. So uh, the team is is definitely just so much better when he has it going. And they were grinding out wins when when he was gone. Obviously, they won against Dallas in kind of a weird, lucky game with shooting all those threes and missing just about everything they put up, but they really look competitive against the rest of the teams they've played with Booker healthy. Yeah. It's been a really fun turn to see, I think in the advanced metrics and offensive rating, defensive rating, they're in the top 15. So they're in an average team, at least over these past five or so games. And just a long-term question I wanted to ask you here, Brandon, because I, I'm going to write a story on this later this week on Brightside as well. But if Booker keeps this up in the second half of the season, just keeps maintaining about 30 points per game and eight assists per game. So along those lines, is your stance going to change on point book long-term or do you think it's still a smart idea for the, this team to build around Booker as a shooting guard? I mean, I, I kind of feel like, you know, there's still a certain type of player that makes sense next to him that allows him to do both. Somebody who can play make um, and, and shoot as well. You know, we've talked a ton about different targets, specific guys, but I think that there there's types of players that kind of transcend positions like that. And, Harden obviously is the example we go back to so often because of their statistical similarities, kind of their physical similarities in a way as well. And I think, you know, Harden can play next to anyone from Patrick Beverly to Eric Gordon to Chris Paul and make it work because of how talented and gifted he is, but also how versatile he is on offense. And I think Booker has a future as that type of player because, you know, we've seen how devastating he can be running through screens like, you know, Clay Thompson, but then the next possession down the court, he'll run a pick and roll and, and lob it to DeAndre Ayton from across the court. So, you know, I think it would be limiting to try to say, you know, what position he should be built around. And I think Harden makes so much sense as a comparison because of the versatility they both share. Do you think it's um nowadays in the modern NBA, I feel like it's more of a priority, maybe not so a priority, but it just seems like a an asset, a luxury to have that these jumbo playmakers we see, we touched on, if you guys listen to the podcast throughout the pre-draft process, you guys know we were really high on Luka Doncic and the possibilities of being a jumbo playmaker next to Devin Booker, but guys like Luka, Ben Simmons, James Harden. Zion. Zion. Yeah, Zion is. He could also, he could be anything he wants to be honest, but do you think for sure, do you, do you think he could possibly be a guy that is more of a jumbo playmaker than we realized like going forward? I mean, it creates matchup problems that you see pretty easily. I mean, uh, speaking of Christmas, that game, the Boston-Philly game was a complete chess match for that exact reason because, you, I mean, Booker's not quite this way, but he does pose some matchup problems of his own because of that on-and-off-ball versatility, the threat he poses on either end, and 
how different he is to guard depending on what he's doing in the half court. But, you know, Ben Simmons is, is obviously the, probably the best example, even better than Luca because of his, he's almost seven feet tall and he's faster than Luca and he's, you know, athletic beyond belief and can play off the ball and, and get lobs and cuts for himself. So having a player like that, that Booker kind of loosely falls into that category, a little bit different, obviously not going to be a guy running around cutting to the rim for a lob, but doing the same thing around the three point line and forcing the defense to react to that is um, super important. And then the ability to put the ball on the ground and make plays for his teammates out of those things. I mean, the more talent we see around him and the more uh, development that guys like Anthony Melton, Mikhail Bridges see, I think we're going to just, we're only touching uh, the surface of what Booker can do on offense, which when we talk about a guy who just averaged over 30 points a game during the best streak of his teams ever during his career, just, you know, kind of touching the surface. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's for sure. And I guess we should move on here to our, um, our homestand that we're going to talk about here, our seven game homestand. But before we get into that, I want to tell you guys really quickly about the locked on NBA Twitter page. It's as you guys know, Brent and I both follow that Twitter account. I think it's one more valuable assets on NBA Twitter right now. You can see immediate reaction from guys like me, Brendan, and the rest of the locked on crew. If you guys want to get, more of a daily dose outside of Phoenix. I know you guys follow along for our Phoenix Suns coverage, but there's so many great, really great podcast hosts around the network, like Josh Lloyd, who's hosting Locked On Fantasy Basketball. And there's also John Corrales at Locked On Celtics. I listen to them all the time. David Locke of Locked On Jazz. There's so many options for you guys to choose from. If you're not already, go follow at Locked On NBA Net on Twitter because you're, if you don't want to listen to the audio version, there's so many good Twitter and tweets that you guys can follow along with. So go over there, follow at Locked On NBA Net. And before we go any further, I want to tell you guys really quickly about our favorite new sponsor, and that is Homey, the revolutionary, incredible new way to buy and sell a home using a mobile app and interface that is super easy and super simple, as well as you know, really a, a money saver and a support system. So these guys do just about everything that you need to feel helped and supported along the process of buying or selling a house something that usually is such a pain, but these guys make it pretty simple and pretty cheap. What they do is sell any priced home, any priced home for the same low cost of just $199 to list and $1,299 at close. That means you as a homey customer would save over $10,000. These guys recently sold a million dollar home in record time and saved that homeowner over $60,000 in commission. So think about the needless dollars that you spend on either side of, of buying or selling a house just by hiring a real estate agent and all the closing costs and fees of getting your home inspected. And, and they, they do their best to cut as much of that out as possible. Um, not only that, but they have a team of real estate agents and attorneys that work for the company. So they're really there to support you. They're not like some of these other companies that are just trying to make a buck by making it easier for you they actually want to support you and they, they know the value of doing that. What we're going to do, if you go check out Homie, tell them you came through us, is get you $100 off that listing fee. So $199, we're going to get you $100 off. So it'll be just $99 to list your house if you call the number 602-892-3335. Again, that's a phone number, not a, not a coupon code. That's 602-892-3335 to get $100 off your listing fee when you list a home at Homey and let them know you came from us. 
Alrighty, just to quickly preview this homestand because I think it's going to be really interesting and a really good test. We kind of hit on it last night a little bit, just looking forward, but uh, they're playing a, a lot of really good teams. I'm excited to have it be home because we get to be there and, and get some better coverage for you guys as well. But just to see how this team responds playing against elite competition. Uh, the East Coast was nice because they got some wins stacked up, but those were a much easier competition than they're going to have to face heading home. Yeah, let's just go through the schedule really quickly. They play tomorrow night, which Brennan said, like usual, Brennan and I would both be there for all the home games. Thunder against the Suns. Then they play the Nuggets, who are currently the number one seed in the Western Conference on Saturday. Then on New Year's Eve, that'll be a really fun one. Golden State Warriors come to town. Then the 76 with Joel Embiid the next two days later. Then the Los Angeles Clippers, who are kind of going on a slide right now, but they're still a really good team. They play January 4th at Phoenix. Then Kemba Walker and the Charlotte Hornets are currently a, a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. They come Sunday, January 6th. And then for Brightside Night, on 2019 Brightside Night, January 8th, Sacramento Kings, who are probably the most surprising story that I've seen in the NBA in the past two or three years. Yeah, it'll be really fun. Um, I think Philly, Denver, talking about you know recovering from those first matchups, um, that'll be an interesting way to see kind of how DeAndre Ayton responds. Joel Embiid just put up a monster, monster night against him the last time they played the Sixers. Um, and then obviously probably the worst game of the year, if not you know up there for Ayton, was against Nikola Jokic. So that Denver game on Saturday on a, the second night of a back-to-back, we'll have to hope that Ayton um, is, puts up a repeat performance of what he did in Brooklyn coming out with that energy on the second night of a back-to-back because they will need it against that Denver team that's on fire and has a, a center that is pretty probably the one of the biggest matchup problems in the entire league, even though he looks pretty typical for a center. He's anything but and really complete opposite of what it likes to do. So that matchup, I think of all the individual matchups in this homestand is the one I'm looking at most. Yeah. Three of the next four games for the Suns are against really elite big men. Steven Abs tomorrow night, who I think is really criminally underrated around the league and Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. Golden State, I really don't know who they're going to throw at DeAndre Aiden. Do you think maybe they go Kevin Durant at the five, Draymond Green at the five? Like, Damian Jones had some success, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's injured right now. Yeah, he's out for basically the whole year. Um, and they've been starting Draymond at center. They haven't been starting Kevon Looney. Um, but, you know, they like to mix and match. Of course, we've we've seen that for years in Golden State. So that'll be interesting. I mean, I think they'll, they're not afraid to try Green on there. They're not going to be like some of these other teams that, change their whole starting lineup just to adjust for for Aiton because they're pretty comfortable and what they do is going to pose just as many challenges for whatever the other team likes to do. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Golden State kind of backpedaling and, and playing a traditional center a little more than they have been just to account for Aiton. That, that'll be a fun one. I mean, even if it is Draymond versus Aiton and Draymond can hold his own, that's a fun test too. I mean, Green out behind the three-point line making plays is is going to be a fun kind of wrinkle for Aiton to have to decipher. And and I'm really just, you know, that he's playing well, I think is one of the more exciting subplots of the season right now because you kind of feel good about him going into every matchup, but it's not, you know, obviously a walk in the park either. So kind of seeing how he adjusts and, and changes his game night to night with the different kinds of centers is, it's what I was looking forward to early in the year, but he was getting trounced so often that it didn't really feel like a competition now. I'm just every game I go into it like, oh, what's the what's the center matchup going to be like? And that's it's just I don't know. It's a fun thing considering it was Alex Len and Greg Monroe last year. 
Yeah, let's look to the backcourt for a second here, Brandon, because if you look at the backcourt matchups, I know our guy DeAnthony Mellon has been kind of riding the bench a little bit more lately with foul trouble and some subpar shooting, but I think this could be a, a matchup, or maybe not even him, maybe Mikhail Burgess makes more sense or Josh Jackson playing the point because they go up against Russell Westbrook, Jamal Murray, Ben Simmons, Shea Gillis-Alexander, Kemba Walker, and De'Aaron Fox, six of the next seven. Yeah, the Thunder especially are, are just so tough to guard, even though they're not really an offensive team, but they have guys at every position that are just so difficult to handle between Russ, of course. Jackson actually was pretty decent against him in the past, so I'll, I'll be excited to see if he keeps that up. Um, but even, you know, Paul George, because Bridges can't slide on to Russ because then there's really no one there to check George. So that's just the challenge of the Thunder pose in general, but especially for the Suns because their primary uh, defender of point guards and wings is Bridges, and they can't really move him around as easily with that team. But uh, I'm excited for round two of Shea Gilgis-Alexander versus D'Anthony Melton because that was a a really fun night with that overtime game. Um, The Clippers – when Melton hit the shot to send it into OT and got the best of SGA in round one, that'll be fun to draft Twitter, you know, nerdy draft Twitter guys going at it again so quickly after their first one. But, um, and then Kemba comes to town on January 6th. That'll be awesome as well. Hey, maybe future Phoenix son, Kemba Walker, like we were talking about earlier on the podcast. We'll see. You guys better be loud for that guy. Cause maybe he might come here, but who knows? But I wanted to ask you one more thing on this before we go to our predictions for these next seven games, and it's just the depth of this team. Kelly Oubre has really been a spark on the second unit. TJ Warren's a starter, obviously, but he plays a lot of the second unit now as well. Josh Jackson, Rashawn Holmes. How do you think the second unit matches up against some of these teams? Because I feel like just a slight move like Kelly Oubre really helped this team, especially the second unit. Yeah, man, I think it gives them an advantage. I mean, there's a lot of teams in this league. Depth is such a, a luxury that not not even very many of the top teams in the league have uh philadelphia you look at as in this homestand that they they're a team where you can really exploit their bench and even denver with their injuries right now are another one you know if you can win the bench minutes that goes a long way because you know maybe not maybe i think it's pretty clear a lot of these teams oklahoma city denver golden state philly right in a row all four of those teams have more talent than the suns of course but you know, if you can play a balanced game, we've seen the Suns stick in games. They, they just beat Boston pretty thoroughly and probably had no business doing so. Even, you know, Dallas, Minnesota, those aren't teams where the Suns just come out with a huge talent advantage. But playing hard and, and winning all 48 minutes really goes a long way. They have the Suns, uh, you could even point to Orlando. They got down 12 early and just kept plugging away. And they had guys making big shots up and down the roster. And it really does help. But um, to go on, we'll, we'll make some predictions here at the end. Just want to tell you guys really quickly to rate and review and subscribe to our show. I know you guys, we've, we've seen the listening go up as the team has improved recently. We, we really love that you guys are coming to Locked on Suns to hear about the team's uh, improved performance. The Suns on their little mini streak here going five and two. It's been fun for us. We know it's been fun for you guys, but the best way really of anything to show support for our show is just to go subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, uh, rate the show wherever you get podcasts, and, and write a review, just something quick, five stars for us, of course, and and just what you like about the show. It, it puts us on the map, and it's the far and away the best way to show your support and kind of get in on, on what we're doing here. So we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate your continued support, but go give us that rate, review, and subscribe, and it'll go a long way. 
Alrighty. I'll, I'll flip it to you because uh, I don't know if I'm ready. I want to hear what you guess and then I'll make mine. But um, I, I don't think I'm going to, I don't know if it'll be over 500 for me. This is a, a really tough stretch of teams. Yeah, this is actually really tough because I'm trying to factor in the recent play and I'm also trying to factor in it's against the Eastern Conference as well. I know the Eastern Conference has been a little bit better this year, but the bottom part of the Eastern Conference has not been close to being what the bottom of the Western Conference is because really the only the Phoenix Suns are the only team really non playoff attention in the Western Conference. But for me, I guess I'll go game by game here. And it's, I'll start Oklahoma City. And I think I'm going to throw a curveball here, but I'm going to say the Suns win this game. I'm going to say they beat All Oklahoma right. City because I think, I think just every year, it seems like since Devin Booker's became a pro, they beat the Thunder. They usually beat them one time a year. And I think this sure. is going to be the game. So I think they one and over. They from getting the, uh, the triple double record a couple seasons ago. That is right. And that's also if we. I don't think we touched on on the podcast before, but if you watch the Suns video back in July when Robert Sarver was talking on the Twitter account in that video they put out, that game against Russell Westbrook where he said, this not in my house, that's kind of what sealed the fate as far as him being a max player for this guy, and they are got to build around. But 1-0 for me right now against Oklahoma City, but they're going to fall back down to earth against Denver. I think 1-1. One one. It's going to be a really tough game for DA against Nikola Jokic, I think. So 1-1. One one. Golden State, I think it's going to be a close game. But I think they're going to lose that game one and two. Philadelphia, ooh, that's a tough one for me because they did beat them last time in Philadelphia. But I think the 76ers get them back, go one and three. The Clippers, who I think are really, really struggling recently. I know there been tra- there's been talks about them possibly switching their starting lineup up because it's been so bad recently. I think they're going to win that game. I think they will beat the Los Angeles Clippers. So go, let me check here, one and one and one, one and two, one and three, two and three right now. Then the Charlotte Hornets, who I think it's gonna be a re- that's gonna be a really fun game. I think that could be really the most high scoring game on this this homestand here. I'm gonna say they win as well, three and three. And then the Sacramento Kings on Brightside night. Honestly, Brent, I wasn't you expecting this. Got a tear for a win on Brightside night. Yeah, exactly. And I honestly, this is no lie, listeners. I did not think I would be predicting this, but the Suns are gonna be over 500 over the seven game homestand, four and three. All right. Yeah. I mean, going through it like that, it's definitely not. Um, unimaginable, but it's the first four, especially that's the top three teams in the West and the hottest team in the East right now. Um, just terrible to be honest, like to go in from being five and two and face those four teams is about as bad as it gets. Fortunately, like we're obviously talking about it, it will be all at home, but I I could really imagine them losing all four of those. Um, but I think the next three are pretty winnable. We, We saw them, before they got Devin Booker back, go toe-to-toe with the Clippers and the Kings um, and and almost win both of those games. And then Charlotte, you know, they're not really close, you know, to the level of talent of the rest of these six other teams. So I think they could win the last three. But, you know, even if they steal one of the first ones, I don't feel great about them. I just think it's going to be really tough to go over 500. So I'll go three and four, but I could easily see it being four and three. And I mean, I think that speaks to big picture, the progress they've made because, you know, what got lost in that five, this five and two stretch, the four and oh, the four game winning streak was they lost 10 in a row before that. It's pretty wild to see the turn that they've made. And I think they'll continue it, whether they, you know, they're not going to win all these seven games, but even if they lose four of them, that competitiveness I think we'll continue to see. And I think coming back home will be a nice uh, recovery for them after that slog of a road trip. Okay. So four and three for me, three and four for you, like you just said there, Brent, I think that's just a, a big 
one-ups there for the Suns because I think two weeks ago, if you would have told us to predict these seven games, I think we might have both gone 0-7. So that really says a yeah. lot about this team. And one more thing I wanted to ask you just before we get off today's show, and that's just thinking long-term ahead the rest of the season, Brent, if they really do go 4-3 and three or 3-4 three and four over this stand, and then they just had 5-2 and two over the road – or excuse me, 3-2 and two over their road stand – What's that say about this team? And do you think this team could be a near 500 team the rest of the season? I, I certainly think they could because this homestand is pretty tough, but we've talked about it for a while now, especially once February hits. They have a pretty relatively easy schedule the rest of the way. Um, home games, they finally get home games against some of these bad Eastern Conference teams that they beat up on on this road trip, whether that's the Cavs, the Knicks, Chicago. Their, their February and March schedule is is really, really easy. So, you know, if, if they can hold tight for a little longer and outplay their talent and, and com- compete and steal some games, if they can get to February hovering around 500, starting with that five and two, that, that four-game win streak that they're coming off of. I think that, that it's definitely within reach and uh, will we'll really signal the first signs of progress of this rebuild that we've seen since that 2013-14 season when Ryan McDonough kind of really decided to kick it into full gear with the tanking. Uh, to see them do that would be, I think, kind of a victory lap for everybody involved and signal some real progress for the team. But I think it's definitely within reach with how they've been playing. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And it's going to be really fun to, fun to watch these guys over the next few weeks and the next few months because there is obviously some growth going on in this team. One of the youngest teams in the NBA and if you think of all the talent they have amassed, they should be eventually turning that corner. It could be happening here very soon. So I appreciate you guys listening on today's podcast. We'll be back to you guys live from Talking to Resort Arena tomorrow to recap the Thunder again.